My name is Roland Vineyard. I'm a resident of Mohawk Valley. And many years ago, I was a very good friend of a fellow named Pete Hauer, who was a renowned at the time speleologist who studied saltpeter caves. We shared many adventures in that together. And in 1975, there was a series of events that culminated in his death and the death of a, of a young man. When I learned about it, I was farming and hadn't seen Pete in a little while. This came as a shock to me, as it did to all of his very large circle of friends. And that kind of started the investigation that I've uh, undertaken. began in 1975. I picked up again in 2012, and it's been pretty much nonstop until the book was published uh, this year. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Roland Vineyard from Sprakers, New York, a rural part of the Mohawk Valley. Roland Vineyard bought a dairy farm in New York and farming became his life for 25 years, with the full-time sale of farm real estate added in 1980. He continues in the real estate business today. Roland Vineyard is also a folk musician and is known nationally as a caver. What is a caver, Roland? Caver in the vernacular is a spelunker, a person who explores caves either for his, the adventure that he receives there, or perhaps uh, in conjunction with the science. Hmm. What draws people to exploring caves? I, mean, I, I must confess, I've, I've many fears and phobias, and I think I, I've been in how caverns, but that's about it. The, uh, to me, it's the sense of adventure, of going where very few people have ever gone before, uh, or sometimes nobody's ever gone before seeing a place that nobody may never see again. Well, this can be dangerous, right? I mean, that's just part of... Part it of can the... be dangerous. I've also felt that probably the most dangerous part of caving is the road trip getting there. <laughs> okay. Right. But, yes, uh, and there are many safety precautions that we've learned to take and routinely take. The story we're going to discuss uh, with uh, Roland Vineyard involves another caver, named Pete Hauer. Is your book a work of nonfiction, or is, is this, by any stretch, uh, like a, a novelized version of Pete Hauer's life? It, uh, no, it's not novelized. It is uh, historical fiction. I hope it's historical nonfiction. I'll get that mm -hmm. right. Uh, completely researched from primary sources. Uh, but I didn't write it to sound like a history book. I wrote it to... Uh, in a more popular style. The book is called The Ballad of Pete Hauer. It was caves that Pete loved the best. Um, we'll give you information, and then we'll, we'll have a link on our uh, website uh, to where you can buy the, uh, buy the book. And the story in, involves, again, Pete Hauer. How did you meet Pete? Okay, I was a historian at Gettysburg National Park uh, as a summer job and had just started cave exploring and it wrote to a friend of mine to see if he would like to do it on my days off, but of course he was working. I was a junior historian, so I didn't get weekends. But he told me, oh, right there in Gettysburg is a really well-known caver. Why don't you meet with him? So I did, and uh, we began caving together uh, for quite a few years. And that was Pete? That was Pete. 
Now, uh, Pete, I, I note, was is my age, or would it be my age if you were alive today, born in 1945. I kind of gather you're younger than that, or, or no? Uh, just a few months. Oh, a few he months. He was born late 45. I was born early 46. At you, at some point, you gravitated to West Virginia. It, is that because West Virginia has a lot of caves? Yes. It's 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 a beautiful state. Uh, very pretty there. I like the people. Uh, as farmland, it's not the best. So you met Pete Hauer, and he was, uh, like yourself, kind of an academic, wasn't he? he, he yes. Or, or what uh, was he? He was, he's published a huge, vast number of articles, uh, especially for somebody at this age, and uh, conducted a lot of research on saltpeter caves. Uh, these are caves that contain the mineral saltpeter, which is one of the components of gunpowder. Mm-hmm. And I and, took me a while, and let me see if I understand that a little bit. You you mentioned several times that Pete Hauer was an authority on saltpeter caves. He ends up owning property with a saltpeter cave, and they use it to make gunpowder. Well, yeah, okay. But I gather that the fact that there is saltpeter found in caves impacted American history in the Revolution and maybe even up to... A, the, the Civil War, because uh, rebels did not have to depend on uh, commercial interests to get to get their gunpowder. Is that anywhere near true? That is very true. Uh, with the blockade of all ports in the War of 1812, and then Lincoln's Anaconda plan during the Civil War, uh, the South's normal supplies of saltpeter, potassium nitrate, uh, came from South America, and they could not get them. So they had to rely upon the sources that were in their area uh, that the colonials had relied upon you know, in earlier days. And without gunpowder, you can't fight a war. I mean, was that the sort of the nature of Pete's research into this, Pete Hauer? Or, uh, yes. Yeah. Eventually, or and maybe you could throw in a date or two to liven things up, Pete Hauer left the academic life and bought a farm in West Virginia. And you said, you said right out that it, it was a bad farm. Yeah. There was uh, 28 acres. Um, nothing really tillable, uh, probably eight or 10 acres of pasture, a rundown barn and a ramshackle house, but it was $4,500 and he had that kind of money. Also he found after he was living there that, bad things started happening to him or to his animals and so on at the farm? Yes. Uh, there was a series of attacks upon his animals, very brutal attacks, like iron pipes thrown down the throat of his horse, uh, goats disemboweled, their ears cut off. Uh, to this unnerving quite a bit. It had been perpetrated by a hippie-hating family uh, of neighbors, uh, one in particular who was um, an adult in, in, in age, but not necessarily in mind. And he was caught, confessed, and uh, put away for a period of time. Hmm. But when and he was released, Pete feared for his life. Really? Oh, he was released eventually. Um, and you've introduced the fact, I guess, that Pete was what we used to call a hippie. 
And that that, that yeah. was sort of an area in this part of West Virginia where there were some communes and and people were were living. Uh, I don't know, going back to the land, things like that. Exactly. Uh, it was very very popular movement in those days. In West Virginia, it was one of the the focal points. Cheap land, pretty countryside. Um, other people going there who were like-minded. So some people, as you said, didn't like that. I mean, some of the people that were living there didn't like that. Well, sure. I mean, this is an area where conservative people had lived for generations. And all at once you get these strange-looking people who are doing things that they didn't like, like... Uh, living with people not their wives, had long hair, maybe they smoked marijuana. They were not very comfortable with this. Some began, became very good friends with the homesteaders, but others very much resented it. And you make the case that Pete Hauer was a very uh, placid individual. He was, uh, he, he was not offensive to people. No, he, he was a person who would talk to anybody, with anybody he wouldn't be happy to be a friend with, and uh, he's very well accepted. So by now we're talking about the what the early to middle nineteen seventies here. Yes. And I guess this advances the story, maybe maybe too quickly, but um, we have you have the violent incidents, uh, the things done to Pete's farm animals. We have the man arrested and sent away for for some time. But then at some point, a college student, and I, I did do a little outside research on this uh, topic. I believe his name was Walter Smith. Um, he was 19 years old, and he was working at a park where Pete also had uh, worked, and Walter Smith disappeared? Yes, uh... It was his, his second year at the park. Uh, Pete had worked at the park the previous year. Uh, it's not known if they knew each other, although likely. And Walter had, um, on his day off in the evening, decided to take a bicycle trip, left a short note for his roommates, and they never saw him again. He did show up at, at Pete's house that evening, and they went together to visit another homesteader, and then supposedly Walter left to go back, and that was the last anybody saw of him a lot. Now, the authorities started investigating that, and they wanted to talk to Pete, but they they couldn't. Yeah, he wasn't there. They kept coming by or calling him. I mean, they did talk, talk to him on the phone a couple of times early. Their thought was that you know, he maybe fell into a cave and got injured. And since Pete was the person who came to in that area for information on case. He was a good person to contact of finding this fellow. He wasn't there when they came by. And the door was open. But that you don't think too much about. It's West Virginia. People leave the doors open. You don't lock your houses. Light was on. That is a little bit more suspicious because that costs money. And not, not many people had the money to leave lights on during the day. So eventually the police entered the house and and found something, right? I mean, yes, or they did... did. They entered the house and they found at his desk a typewritten note, which was a will, leaving his possessions to his friends. And in that, he also confessed to having killed 
Walter. Killed Walter. Wow. And told him where they could find the body, uh, and they followed the directions and found the body. But the information about the killing was tantalizingly absent uh, in the confession note. Uh, it was mostly, mostly a will. Hmm. There were some things he said which, um, fantasy of the evil kinds become my reality. Um, t t so, repeat that. What did you say? Fantasy of the evil kind has become my reality. Hmm. That's a quote from this confession note, and we're never sure what that means. Hmm. He said he was forgiven by God, who, quote, understands his sickness and genius, which was very atypical type of thing for him to say. Hmm. As far as his motive, uh, another quote from the Confession note was that Walter was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But we have no idea what the real motive was. Hmm. Uh, he, said it was he said it was mental sickness that led him to do this, that none of his friends would have ever called Peter uh, mentally ill. Uh, we suspect, uh, with advantage of hindsight, that he was undiagnosed bipolar. Hmm. His sister was later diagnosed bipolar. Uh, this is a disease that was becoming recognized at this time, so it's not any surprise that nobody would have used the words at that time. Mm -hmm. And in connection with Walter's body, uh, that note said that it was in Pete's Saltpeter Cave? That's correct. And it was? And it was in the cave, buried under some some rocks. It was not hard to find. Hmm. And uh, the police called in a bunch of local cavers to help him in the search, and they found it, found the body very, very quickly. Uh, Walter was nude, wrapped in a blanket in a tarp, plastic tarp, and the coroner discovered that he had been uh, violated sexually. And then... Pete's note, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know where I got this, whether it was from your stuff or some other things I was looking at. Pete's note also said that you would find his body in a cave. Yes. So once Walter's body was found, that started a manhunt for Pete. They got a lot of cavers together to help him in this, and there was National Guard and a bunch of other people as well. Uh, they searched quite heavily for several days or 120 cavers at one time looking the various caves in the area. Uh, and some of them were still doing it five minutes later. Mm. Were you ever one of them? No, I didn't even know about it. I was living up in St. Lawrence County, New York at the time okay. and, uh, farming and that was keeping me pretty, pretty well occupied. Cut to the chase, I suppose, if you will. And by the way, that, I'm sure this has occurred to you, or maybe it has already. This story sounds like one of those uh, TV uh, police cases, uh, like Dateline or 2020 or something like that. Has anybody ever put this on the television? Uh, not to my knowledge. Uh, there is a lot of interest in the story, and it has been in recent years. At the, at the time, emotions were so high that it was discouraged people were threatened who were going to write it up. So nothing ever happened. Uh, but, you know, it's got sex, 
homosexuality, caves, drugs, cults. There were witches in the area, the animal slaughterers, hippies. FBI was involved in it. And so all these are TV-type elements. And that was a factor in my decision to write the book because I wanted to be a little bit more even-handed mm-hmm. and not write it as a uh, as a horror story. And one thing that um, I'm puzzled by, you, they said the police said they found this note with Pete's will and then with the confession that, yes, I killed Walter, he's buried in a cave. But then there was information that Pete was buried in a cave. But from whom? I mean, Pete couldn't write that himself, or, or well, could he? he? He said that he was going to commit suicide in a, in a nearby cave. Ah, uh, okay. But again, that turned out to be um, a, a false lead. How, where did they find the body and how? At, at Thanksgiving time, uh, a neighbor was taking his son out for hunting. And on a nearby mountain, they found his body, or his decomposed body, I should say. Uh, the son, who was 11 at the time, recognized Pete's boots. That's how they could tell who it was. Hmm. And when they first saw the remains hanging, they thought it might have been a turkey or something. And then when they got closer, they could see, you know, it definitely was not a turkey. And did it have the... Was there any conclusion that this... Uh, that Pete had then taken his own life, or, or not? There was a confession that he was going to kill himself in the in the will and note, and then here's somebody that had died by hanging. So the conclusion, logical conclusion, was that he had killed himself, and nobody had assisted in this. But his friends had difficulty believing this. In fact, I did watch one uh, presentation by. I'm sure you know him, Dr. Henry Rausch. Yes, who's and Henry a, uh, uh, is actually a New York native. Uh, he's on family is from Gilderland, and he's a, a professor at down in West Virginia, and also a caver, right? Yes, and and he raises the possibility that Pete was forced to write that confession, and that maybe somebody else actually uh, took Pete's life. That is a not uncommon interpretation. Uh, I'm not sure that that's correct. I can't be sure that it's incorrect either. Uh, But a lot of people who knew Pete, uh, Henry didn't know Pete, but he certainly knew many of us who did. A lot of people, you know, thought along that line, somebody had a reason to kill Walter and they killed Peter in order to make a perfect crime of it. Hmm. And that could be the case, but... uh, I'm not sure that it is. And another, uh, imagine it's in your book, but I picked this up from Dr. Rauch's presentation. The year that this happened was 1975, right? That's correct. That earlier that year, uh, Pete's uh, girlfriend left him, and they had been scheduled to be married, I think, maybe a year or two before, but that didn't happen. Yes, that's an interesting story. Um, I had introduced her to him. In fact, she was one of my students. I taught speleology at the University of Connecticut for a year. And they met on a field trip I had down to his place. And it was love at first sight. They were planned to be married. And 
they had the wedding all planned, and then just a day or two before, Pete's mother in Pennsylvania got very, very sick. He went down there to be with her, and so the wedding party went off, but there was no wedding. And then afterwards, the two of them slowly kind of drifted apart, so they never did get married. Uh, when they parted, uh, they parted as friends. And that was earlier that year, if I understand correctly, the, correct. the year that he died. Yes. So here's the story. I mean, there's much more to it, of course. But I, I want to expand on with you on this subject of how you told the story. First, you wrote a song, uh, which I guess in the folk music trade, and you've been a folk musician for, for many, many years, uh, it's called A Murder Ballad? Yeah, I've written a song, and when I write songs, I don't always put words to them right away. The melody comes first, and they had a feeling to me, uh, slotted thirds and minor chords, it would fit well with a murder ballad. I, so I wrote a lyrics to it, and right away I did like them. And then later on, I got to thinking, well, let's make it a little bit more personal. Who do I know that got murdered? And then I thought of Pete. And after that, the words came easily. Where this song has developed quite a following is that you added visuals to it, or I should maybe say your wife, Janet Vineyard, added visuals to it, creating what's described as a cranky. And they're not talking about a man of my age who's hard to handle, but what is a cranky? Cranky is an art form... Basically, it was the video of the 1800s, started by a Scottish person who was an artist. And quite often, the crankies, they would visit towns, make, make routines, and a professor, quotes around the word professor, would describe the events, travelogues, battles, different types of stories. Mm-hmm. And so, it's been pretty much forgotten about today. A lot of them are no longer in existence because they've haven't physically fallen apart. And we had a concert at our home with another musician from Virginia who was familiar with the art form, and she had used it to accompany a very old ballad. And we thought, well, this is really neat. And in the folk community, crankies are becoming known now. It's kind of a minor revival. You made a crank, or you a series of scenes about Pete Howard's story that yes. your wife created by quilting. I mean, that sounds like a tremendous amount of work. I mean, she, she didn't just it draw was. this. She quilted that's, it, right? That's all she did for several months in her spare time. Was, you know, I, I helped her in some ways, but the quilting was entirely her her job. And uh, it gave us a very, very colorful way to illustrate the story uh, that copied the, each, each, each verse of the song. So you have, you just said this, a uh, panel covers each verse of the song. So you sing along while the, the cranky's moving. You had to build yes. the cranky machine, didn't you, that, that yes, actually does this? It was, yeah. a, it was a pretty simple apparatus. It looks it looks a little bit like a, like a, a puppet theater. Now, you started showing this around for example, you displayed it at a convention of of cave explorers or cavers? Yes. Yeah, that was in 2012. 
after each presentation, we were surrounded by people. The guys mostly talked to me about Pete Hauer, and the women mostly talked to Janet about the cranking, about the quilting. And then, of course, like everything that we talk about these days, uh, we, we come to 2020. You, weren't you going to take it somewhere in 2020, but you couldn't because of the pandemic? Yes, my plan, the, the book was supposed to be out uh, in June, late June of 2020. There would be a convention, another convention in West Virginia of the National Speleological Society. They have conventions every year in different locations. It was moving back to West Virginia. And in an area very close to where Peter lived, uh, there would be a lot of people attending who knew him. And so we had planned a reprise of our cranking presentation at that convention. The book would be introduced. And I also had a paper I was giving at the uh, American Spelling History and Association's uh, meeting. And with COVID, of course, all that got disrupted. Do, do you, uh, will the cavers meet this year? Are you going to show it again? or I, I will not be showing it again because it, the convention, if it's held, will be in California. Uh, but uh, it, it will be moving back to West Virginia very soon, and I will give another presentation at that time. But uh, you've shown California it. California uh, too far to go. But you've shown it in our area, too. You, didn't you do one in oh, yeah. present? And where have you I had it? it? Yeah, you know, I've shown it at Cafe Lena, uh, Upstate Chapel in Kennedy Harry, at the Coffee House in Fultonville, uh, a couple times here at the Rocky Top Concert Series, and it probably will be shown uh, more times now. It's really been well received, or I, I certainly gather that that yeah, people, people think people it's really need... neat, colorful. It combines visual with music with a grisly story. Is this what the uh, police talk about, or at least TV shows that talk about the police talk about? Is this still a cold case? I mean, has anybody no, come uh, up? With a confession note, uh, the P- uh, police had concluded that the, 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 the murder of Walter Smith was, was by Peter. Uh, they used drugs and sexual gratification for their motive, although there's no evidence whatsoever of drugs and sexual gratification. You know, they did not test to see who had gratified themselves with with Walter. Um, and then when Peter's remains were found, that wrapped up the case for them and the FBI. But uh, as we know, it opened a lot, a lot of doors and opened a lot of questions for people who knew New Peter. Is, has, have you been to West Virginia lately? It's been uh, two or three years now. I was wondering if uh, that sort of hippie culture has disappeared from there. Well, no, it hasn't. Uh, many, of the, many of them left because they, it was just a harder life than they envisioned. Uh, but those that stuck it out, uh, a lot of them are still there. They're all in their 70s, 80s. Uh, but the, the younger ones that, that have come since. Roland Vineyard lives in Sprakers, Montgomery County, the Mohawk Valley. His book is called The Ballad of Pete Hauer. It was caves that Pete loved the best. Uh, we will have a link on our uh, website, bobcudmore.com, to 
the place where you can get the book or order the book, or, or you can call this number 295 7978. Uh, 518 295 7978. Also, we will have a, a link on our, our website uh, where you can watch and listen to The Cranky, the musical ballad of, of Pete Hauer, and uh, the accompaniment, uh, the visual accompaniment that uh, Janet Vineyard made uh, by quilting. Uh, thank you very much, Roland, for, for joining us on the Historian's Podcast. It's been a pleasure, Bob. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore.